for a very long time, I always ran away from my grief and ran towards work or towards a relationship or towards something, but never dealt with the things I was feeling. And I think accepting the fact that you're grieving or you feel sad or you feel afraid of failure of you know your career or anything, accepting your feelings is the first step in taking away their power. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the Skim from a Couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Today, Priyanka Chopra Jonas joins us on Skimmed from the Couch. We are huge fans and so excited to have Priyanka with us. She's an actress, producer, singer, and philanthropist. Priyanka rose to fame after winning the Miss World pageant in 2000. She later took Bollywood and then the global entertainment industry by storm. She's written about her career journey in her new memoir, Unfinished, which is on sale February 9th. Priyanka, we're so excited to have you here. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. Thank you, guys. So we ask everybody to skim their resume. You have a long resume. So we're going to ask you to like really skim the highlights here. (laughs) It's just everything has sort of happened really quickly right now in my life. So I would say I'm an actor, I'm a producer, entrepreneur, I'm a founder, I'm an author, philanthropist, and yeah, that's it. (laughs) That's a lot of things. (laughs) We're going to dive into all of that, but I actually just hearing you say that, is there one that you identify more closely with? No, I feel like I'm a sum of all of them. They've all been my choices. Besides the pageants, which I won when I was 17 years old, it's not something that I seeked. It kind of happened to me. Besides that, everything else in my life has been my choice. My career has been my choice. So I think I'm a sum of each one of those verticals because I kind of you know, deliberately went after them myself. What's something that we can't Google about you? Oh, if it's not on Google, then you'll never know. (laughs) Um, Okay, I'll try it a different way. What's the craziest thing you've read about yourself on Google or out there? Just the why I do what I do. Like people, people feel like sometimes they talk as if they know me. I was, I remember early on, this is one of the first memories of this happening for me. I had just done, like just done a few Hindi movies in India and I I was like early 20s at that point. And you know how Hindi movies have songs in them. So we were shooting a song and it was raining. Rain songs or sequences that you see in entertainment look a lot more beautiful and glamorous than they are. It's not fun. You're wet constantly. You're, you know, you have like wet clothes on and it's just like not fun to shoot that. And you're like that for 12 hours, constantly being made wet. I I remember I was filming that and I read on Google a couple of days later that I had requested for mineral water to be used in the rain machines. (laughs) That was a good one. Thank you for sharing that. Can you imagine how much mineral water it would require. And like, who would make that up? Who would do that for anybody? That's like, that's a little crazy. (laughs) Yeah. We're gonna, you know, in order to really understand your story, we need to to start at the beginning. 
want to get a better understanding of what you what growing up was like for you. We know you moved around a lot within India as a child, and then you made a bigger move to the U.S. as a teenager. But how would you describe just your your childhood and, and your personality growing up? I think I was very nomadic. You know, my parents were in the military. My my father was in the military initially, and then my mom joined. But because we moved around so much, every two years we were in a new place. Adaptability is easy for me now. You know, and I think that my childhood, that part of my life, really lent itself and led me towards being adaptable. And within that, I think I had a sense of adventure. I was raised in a family that kind of pushed. me to have an opinion even when the room didn't agree with me like i used to always hang out with my parents and their friends when they had people over and you know they'd be having adult conversations like things in life and I, my opinion would be asked and i always like i was never laughed at i was never shamed that kind of gave me a sense of confidence you know in fact my mom used to always say even if the room disagrees with you you have to have an opinion you know otherwise what do you stand for and that kind of built integrity in me about you know what do i stand for so i think my childhood i have to say is a big part of what i became i want to talk about when you made the move to the us as a child or yeah i was 12 years i was 12 years old actually yeah that's why i said as a child because that's crazy <laughs> i was visiting my cousins and you know they had moved here like a couple of years ago and they used to write to me and they were like oh in america they have this and i was just like i wanted to be a part of it so when we were visiting my aunt when i was 12 years old and i went to my cousin's school and I was just like what kids don't wear uniforms to school in 8th grade my as a teenager I was so excited about the freedom of that and so excited about the fact that you guys had like so much space and girls were wearing lipstick and you know you were talking to boys and all those things at like 12 13 which was definitely not allowed in my house my attention at that time was peaked because of that not because I wanted you know a better education or anything but i remember going to my parents and pitching it that i wanted better opportunity for myself and i guess my mom was okay with it because she and my dad were also going through a transition period my dad had retired from the military they were setting up their own hospital so my mom was like yeah convenient go <laughs> so it kind of worked out for both of us when you think about that now are you like wow that was incredible that i did that at that early age i mean i think about myself at that age and i'm like i no like i would not have been able to to do that i don't know because i don't know any other normal you know my parents never sort of shunned my ideas you know we had pro- conversation about pros and cons and if it made sense you know everybody has had to be on board with everything like we as a family would be on board with the decisions that were taken So I just didn't know any other way and I felt like that was inculcating a boldness in me about taking risks and it's reflective in me as an adult as well I feel but I just have never known any other way you know I've I've been opinionated if I want something I'll go after it I'm not shy about that if I want something even as a kid I used to tell my parents we would negotiate and it would happen I wanted barbies um when I was like five or six or something kindergarten i remember that i wanted barbie and my dad was like you know it was expensive and my parents are military parents and they were like well if you get a's 
and then we'll get you Barbies. I got straight A's. <laughs> it's in my, I put that report card in my book for that reason, because I wanted a Barbie. You give me a motivation, I'm like a dog with a bone. <laughs> I would love to sort of hear from you how you thought about confidence, like as a teenager who eventually, you know, went onto a global stage in, in a pageant world, and we'll talk about that, to, you know, now as a confident woman who's got 18 different job titles, how has sort of your relationship with confidence evolved? Tremendously. I think it definitely has to do with maturity, for sure, you know, it has to do with experience. But at the same time, I think, you know, it has to do with feeling a sense of stability and calm. And I think I'm at a place in my life where I feel a sense of stability. I have confidence in my abilities, in what I bring to the table. As a woman, I feel sure of who I am. But I think, obviously, you know, you're not born confident. No one's born confident. You know, our circumstances sort of define how confident we can be, how we're made to feel with, from our parents, our friends, the environment that you've sort of grown up in, all that really contributes to you know, someone's confidence. And I think mine, it was like mountains and valleys for a long time. I was insecure, but I was also raised to be confident, but I was insecure in myself. I think over time, you kind of, I, I've come to a place where confidence has become you know, something that I always have in my backpack but I don't need to take it out all the time. I don't need it all the time. I don't need to have it all the time. I'm okay feeling vulnerable. I'm okay feeling uncomfortable. Instead of trying to run away from my emotions and you know, hide under the garb of confidence. Um, I think confidence is something you pull out when you need. Um, and otherwise it's okay to be real and feel all the feelings. You're 17 when you won Miss World in 2000. Like walk us through what changed overnight? You know, I give credit to this, like, huge monumental change to my brother. He was 10 years old. I had just moved back to India from the U.S. And there were two rooms. And one was my parents and the other one was my brother's. So my dad, because I was 17, 16, was like, oh, she needs her own room. Of course, she's a grown-up. My brother, who was 10, was kicked out. And my mom made his room, you know, in the hallway between the two rooms. And he was like... I'm sleeping on a hall, in the hallway and he wanted to basically kick me out of the house so that he could get his room back and I had just taken these photographs which were like mall shots you know soft focus with your hand on your face like those kind of photographs he brought those pictures to my mom and you know we used to watch the Miss India pageant at home and it was something that he may have I don't know seen I don't know but he saw the ad for that in a magazine and he brought it to my mom and he was like, you know, she'll, she'll need to go to Mumbai if she does that. <laughs> and, and my mom, <laughs> I don't know, just to calm him or I don't know, placate him why she did it, but she sent those pictures in. I had no idea. But you, have, you owe everything to him then. <laughs> yeah. It's just such an absurd thing to think about. But, you know, I was, a, I was very competitive. I still am. Once you put me into a competition, I was like, okay, all right, let's see. I, I treated it like a relay almost. And I was like, well, I'm going to be the best racehorse. And then if it doesn't happen, fine. But I gave it, you know, my best once I was in it. You've talked a lot about your parents and how you've grown up and, and how that shaped you. I think 2020 for the world was a really weird year and people have had to be resilient and also deal with grief in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, you you know, 
talked about your dad as being one of your biggest supporters. How did you, or were you able to kind of take lessons from the grief to become more resilient? Definitely. But you know, I can talk a big talk and fall into that again. You never know. We're all human. We all have a journey that we have to go on. But I think I have tools in my toolkit now to be able to deal with it in a better way. I think accepting the fact that you're grieving is very important instead of running away from it. For a very long time, I always ran away from my grief and ran towards work or towards a relationship or towards something, but never dealt with the things I was feeling. And I think accepting the fact that you're grieving or you feel sad or you feel afraid of failure of you know your career or anything accepting your feelings is the first step in taking away their power and you know the fact that the grief is not going to go away anywhere it becomes your companion it's like your companion in life it's going to hang out with you and some days it's going to you know come out in a big way and say hi and stay for dinner and some days you won't even see him you know i've i sort of started treating grief as my companion and it made it easier. It was just there are days that I think about my dad or I think about moments in my life where I've been sad or things that make me sad and I let myself feel it. And then the next day is better and brighter. You go on from the pageant stage to enter Bollywood, which I am personally fascinated by. It's all my musical theater dreams brought to life. And it's hard to put into words how big of a star you become. And I'm really curious from your perspective, you know, so, so much we read, we all read and consume, you know, all these kind of media headlines and stories about, you know, a star's catapult to fame, but we don't see like behind the scenes, like they auditioned a lot, they got rejected a lot. They were figuring out how to negotiate their worth and, and all of sort of the behind the scenes parts. At what point in this journey, like, do you think that you shifted to becoming a businesswoman? Recently, actually, I think I would say about when I founded my production company, actually it was my mother's idea. It's a very funny story. I turned 30 and uh, my mom sat me down one night and she says, you know, actresses have a shelf life and all the actors, even if they're in their 50s, always want to work with the youngest ones. And you know, now in the ripe old age of 30. You're like, thanks mom. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, what are you going to do if this is not, you know, your career? I think you should start your own production house. I think you should start your own business. And I think you should get into business because you have an aptitude for it. And it was so funny. It was very astute of her to say that. And I'm glad not just me, but you know, a lot of female actors in my generation have changed that perspective. And you know, we can still be doing great work <laughs> you know, as we get older. We're pushing the envelope, but it was my mom's astute thinking at that point, which sort of led me to found my company, which is Purple Pebble Pictures. And I was bitten by the bug. And I found it fascinating to be able to build things out of, you know, the power of, to be able to build ideas. And those ideas become businesses and actually become your livelihood and your purpose. And then I started like delving into investing in tech and then founding a hair care brand. It's all very new, but it came from the desire of wanting to branch out of putting all my eggs in one basket just in case. As your star began to rise, um, and this is, you know, really kind of in the, in the Bollywood era of your career, who are you going to for 
advice to help you navigate, not even your support system, but what did your mentorship system look like? Didn't have much. My family or I had never been in the entertainment business. So it was like, uh, we just applied logic like the Chopra family always does is, you know, we're scientific about it. It's pros and cons. You always, you never have one plan. You have multiple plans. The way we were taught and the way I was taught and the way I think, I think is always to work backwards. You know, if you have an ambition of, I want to get say this movie, or I want to work with this person. What am I going to need to get to that? I'm going to have to get to someone who knows them, someone who can get me a meeting. So I need to get somebody, um, get to someone who can have a conversation, whose phone call they'll pick. So it's like you work, if you want to buy a car, how much money am I going to need? What's the kind of, where am I going to get this from? How much do I need to earn? So I always work backwards. And me and my family at dinner used to sit and talk about like, all right, where do we want to get? How do we get there? And what are the kind of roles I want to do? And who should I be meeting? And just sort of learned on the job. My acting school has been my career. I have never been to, you know, any sort of formal education when it comes to films and the arts. And I just kind of figured it out by sheer sort of grit, I fell, <laughs> I dusted myself off and tried it again and tried some other way. And you know, you just have to evolve and stay a student. I think that's really important. One of the things that I find fascinating about actors is how often they have to deal with rejection. I'm assuming starting out, totally. auditioning for roles. How do you deal with that? And has it gotten easier for you over time? Yeah, you come to terms with the fact that it's part of the job over time and that it happens to everyone. But in the beginning, it's very personal. <laughs> it's like you feel rejected. It's like, how dare you? Me? I thought it was great. <laughs> you know? It feels very personal in the beginning. I mean, it, it's, it's still not fun. It's still shitty. Um, yeah, it seems like it would be really <laughs> shitty to have that be part of your day. But it's also literally your job. Like it's part of your job for someone to watch you deliver the best that you think you have and then say, eh, that's not good enough for me. And meh, that's not what I'm looking for. Like that's my job to deal with that all the time. I always think it's so interesting to hear, you know, how actors deal with it because normal people, we get rejected from a job and it's, it's not our job, but it happens all the time the time that people don't get what they want or they think they're right for something. Okay, think about it this way. For actors, we have no consistency, all right? We don't know where our next check is coming from. We don't know the next couple of months where we're going to be because our jobs dictate that. So it's a constant hustle. You have to constantly be on your feet. And there's no consistency of, you know, if you at least have a job, you know, you know that you have some sort of consistency for a bit, for a couple of months. For us, it's like, okay, you know, just for two months or like for six months, you'd figure out what the next thing is. It's so inconsistent and unstable. Do you thrive off of that hustle or does that stress you? I do thrive off of it. <laughs> but it also is sort of insane. Like it's not healthy <laughs> to have that level of competitiveness with yourself. You know, I, I'm constantly looking for what's the next thing. You know, I, I see my career, it's, I've always seen it this way, like a ladder. I've never rested on a laurel. I've never like a movie does really well. I'm not someone to be like, all right, I'm going to take a vacation for six months now. That Like, no, I've never been at home for six months except for quarantine. 
And it took a global pandemic to do that. <laughs> Amidst all of this, the chaos that you thrive in and the hustle, what is stabilizing for you? I actually didn't really know what it was for a very long time because I lived out of hotels, rentals. The last home I owned before the one I'm in right now was about 15 years ago. You know, I just like never had anything. I just moved around in a suitcase. I think when I made this house, we made this house, my husband and I, through quarantine actually, it really gave me that sense. I, when I wrote this book, actually, which is why it's such a sort of steady reflection of my life, it's like really a window into my life from a very steady place, is because I felt ground beneath my feet and I felt like I could breathe. I knew where all my stuff was. Everything had a place, you know, and I didn't realize I was missing it. So I think only now I sort of crave you know, a home and I crave like my dogs and I need my family and like all of that stuff really, really matters to me. And I take a lot of time, even if I work crazy hours, to be able to have that. It really gives me a sense of peace. The entertainment industry is infamously known for just the continued issue of wage equity the disparity around how men and women have been paid. And obviously there are strides being made and people are being much more open about it. But I would love to understand from you your experience with that and how you learned how to get more comfortable talking about money and negotiating. I've been kicked out of a movie once for, or been told that I should leave. I wasn't kicked out of it because I decided to stay and suck it. <laughs> but I was told that if I don't um, take the paycheck, which was nominal compared to my co-actor for almost the same amount of work. That producer said to me that there are so many other girls who will take this opportunity. And you know, women in movies are interchangeable. In big movies like this are interchangeable, it's fine. And you know, that really stuck to me at one point. And this was early in my career and I didn't do anything about it. I had to work within the system because that's what we're told that, you know, if you want this job, this is the only way. Early 20s, that's what I believed. And again, it took almost 15 years for me to get to that place where, you know, I could stand my ground. And it took hearing the conversations from other women banding together to give me the confidence to stand up for myself. You know, I started reading about a lot of women and female actors. And, you know, when we would female actors, when we would meet, we'd talk about it at parties. And, you know, generally that became a topic of conversation. Women were championing each other. And, um, you know, it sort of gave me a sense of like, fuck that. I want, I want to be able to stand up for what I, you know, what I think I bring to the table too. And I do think that that demand has pushed the needle. I have to say that, you know, in one of the jobs that I was doing, it was actually brought up by the studio that there should be pay parity with me and my co-actor. And my agents brought it up and it happened. I was very, very pleasantly surprised. And, you know, I love that we as an industry are going towards that direction. And it's kudos to all the women that stood up for themselves and for others, you know, by, for fighting for this large fight. And we've seen that in history. All the luxuries we enjoy today of being able to get jobs and powerful, be in power, powerful positions and being able to vote and drive has been because women before us have fought that fight. Females, women have been denied so much through eons. And I think, you know, it's our generation's responsibility to change that so that the next generation doesn't inherit these problems. And I'm glad to see that with so many of us banding together, we're doing that. 
you've talked in the past about losing roles because of your skin color. And when, you know, we think about the ways that you've been an activist, one of the things that stands out is being on a mission to change representation in the entertainment industry. What changes do you want to see made and how do you think the industry is is doing? So I feel like when I first started trying to find work in Hollywood and, you know, trying to build a career here, it was almost like there weren't any parts written for someone who looked like me. It was never a conscious thought to do that in mainstream entertainment, in mainstream leading parts or important roles. Or, and that was an issue. Like that really required breaking down doors and sort of telling people that I'm here auditioning for a mainstream movie and a mainstream part, not for the stereotype that you're used to seeing someone like me be in. I'm fighting for that role. That's the one I want. And that sort of required an education, really, you know? And I have to say that I've met some wonderful people between the Hindi film industry and Hollywood who kind of always had faith in my abilities once I showed that. Like, I'm not afraid of walking onto a set because I know what I bring to the table. I'm not my 21-year-old self anymore, you know? I have had tremendous experience in various genres. I haven't even done that. I haven't even scratched below the surface as an artist in America yet. And that's what I'm looking to do for myself and for people who look like me. Minorities, females, South Asians specifically. South Asian people, not just in India, around the world, are one-fifth of the world's population. But when you look at global entertainment in English language cinema, you don't see that in like leading roles, in mainstream part, in pop culture. And... I didn't even realize that till I started seeking it myself. <laughs> you know, I was busy building another career back home in India for me. And I'm so glad actually to see there, you know, to have teammates in this mission. Like you see, you know, Mindy Kaling, Aziz Ansari, Kumail, Riz, all of these amazing artists are pushing the envelope to say that we want to be a part of mainstream pop culture. And that's great. And hopefully with us, pushing that goalpost further and demanding entertainment look the way the world is, actually, that it'll be a big change. And I, I think we're, we're definitely going in that direction. And I think the industry, especially with streaming coming in now, like, for example, my movie, The White Tiger. I don't think that movie would have been made five years ago with the budget that it has right now before streaming became what it did. It's an all Indian star cast. It's um, an Iranian director. It's an Indian story in India written by an Indian person. I don't think that would have had the mainstream, you know, sort of that kind of a release. It's going to be seen in 160 countries. People around the world are going to be able to access it. Now with a platform like that, with streaming coming in today, we have to provide content that is global and that is cross-cultural. You know, with Parasite winning Best Picture last year, what really is a foreign film anymore? You know, I've, I was watching an Iranian show the other day. My mom watches K-dramas all day. Like, we're all consuming entertainment from everywhere. And now we need to, the industry needs to reflect that. Your drive and ambition and work ethic are incredibly obvious in five minutes of reading about you, but also in five minutes of speaking to you. Do you ever stop for a second and like, just say like, I'm really proud of myself. I actually had a moment like that when I 
read my book for the first time. Like, you know, when you're writing it, I was writing it in pieces and like this chapter and editing that. When I read it cover to cover for the first time, I kind of had to sit alone for about half an hour and process what I just read. And I kind of told my younger self to like stop being so hard. You know, I told myself to stop being so hard on my younger self. Like I did all right. I went through a lot and I, you know, pulled myself out of the bullshit every time. And it was my strength and my grit, you know, that my career was self-made and with the support of my family, I've been able to build it on my back. And, you know, I, I had a moment after I read it. I'm curious, you know, as we kind of keep coming back to you and you list all of your occupations and all the things <laughs> that are on the horizon, when you think about, you know, your other projects or things that you're dreaming up and that are we don't even know yet. Maybe your agent doesn't even know yet. What stresses you? Failing at it. <laughs> Whenever I try something for the first time, like, I mean, this is the first time I've ever founded a company. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do it. I'm just going to run with it. You know, when I started doing movies, I didn't know how to do it. When I started a pageant, when I wrote a book, like I've, everything that I've done has been for the first time. And every time I have the stress of, you know, dropping the ball on it for it not living up to my expectations because I really strive for excellence in everything I do from my personal life to like how my bed looks to like how I, you know, my house looks to my various verticals. But that's always a fear. I think that's everyone's fear, right? We're going to move into our lightning round. So quick questions and quick answers. Um, since we are all spending a lot more time at home, what's replaced your morning commute? <laughs> um, my workouts. I've gotten so consistent at working out. Also, I'm training for a job, but the morning commute used to be my sort of meditation time, you know, the car drive. I used to check all my, um, my phone and what happened in another part of the world while I was sleeping. And, but now, like, I feel that way when I work out. And I've been able to do that almost five, six times a week. So that's great. What's the last show you binge watched? Mm, Bridgerton. Yeah. <laughs> I went through it in a day. Yeah, I went through it in a day too. <laughs> yeah. I think like a hundred people ask this question. What is your favorite Jonas Brothers song? I believe, because it was written for me. <laughs> That's a good reason. Yeah. This one actually really made me laugh. We're gonna. This is our, our last Jonas family question. What is it like to have your sister-in-law as queen of the North? <laughs> I really don't see her as that. I just see her as Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a good cook? No, terrible cook. What's the first thing then you go to order? Depending on my mood, I love Asian food. So usually Thai. Biggest vice? Carbs. <laughs> yeah. When the world sort of resumes travel at a normal speed, what's the first trip you want to go on? Oh, I want to go on a beach. I need sand between my feet. I need a bikini and I need a bellini. I know. I need sun. <laughs> I need the sun. I'm in London for a year. So I need the sun. I do too. Um, all right, let's 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 do one more. What's the last book you read? Oh gosh, Unfinished actually. <laughs> That's all I've been reading. I, I do like reading multiple things. I read this amazing book called Homegoing last year and I really recommend it. It's by Yagyazi, it's a bestseller, but it's a story of two sisters in Ghana and their multi-generational story all the way to America. 
how they both had two different sort of like sliding doors, how they had two different lives, you know, and it's amazing and it's so beautifully written. Um, Priyanka, congratulations on everything. Congratulations on the new book and the hairline. Thank you for coming Thank on. Thank you so much, ladies. This was so fun. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra. 